Welcome to Ruben and Pete See Everything, the podcast where two friends delve deep into cinematic history to find true gems. This week's movie is Lethal Weapon. Uh, hi, Pete. How are you doing? Hey, what's up, Ruben? I am doing, uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing quite well. Much weller after enjoying the Lethal Weapon movie. Fowl also said you're heavy into martial arts, Tai Chi and all that uh, killer stuff. Lethal Weapon. It was... It really lived up, man. I suppose we have to register you as a lethal weapon. From Mel Gibson's ass <laughs> all the way to his mullet. I forgot about the gratuitous ass of, of old Gibson that they throw in here. But that's that's a relief. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have a strong, like, defense of this movie as some amazing movie or anything like that. And uh, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Mel Gibson these days. God hates me. That's what it is. Hate him back. It works for me. But it's it's nice to hear that uh, that someone who's never seen it, and I'm sure you've heard some hype and some connotative stuff around this movie, right? Or these movies? Uh, I've understood the franchise existed, but it wasn't like a thing in my home or like in my family. Mm. Yeah, Mel Gibson does suck. You know, you're you're not the first guy to think of this, you know? But Danny Glover at least kind of balances out the, the assholishness <laughs> yeah. in real life and in the show or yeah. movie. Thank you. You never know. It's funny because when I when these movies were coming out, I was way too little to see them. So I didn't see them until I was, you know, let's say around 10 or something like that. And it's funny because as a kid, man, like Danny Glover's character is such an old curmudgeon. But as a 35-year-old man... He is like my spirit animal in corporeal form. He's just like, oh, damn it. I this fucking shit. I love it. I love Danny Glover on this watch. I couldn't believe yeah. every time that Danny Glover says, I'm getting too old for this shit. Or he, sometimes it's just his eyes that say it, you know, and he doesn't say it. Because he would say it like 20 times in the movie. I'm too old for this shit. I'm too old. I'm too old for this shit. You're too old for this shit. You're getting too old for this shit. I'm just like... Thank God. Whoever hired, whoever cast you in this movie, I, it just makes me happy. How about I open a window? Will I make you happy? Well, you know what it made me think? I, I was like, wow, this movie's almost like 40 years old. Is Danny Glover 90? He's not. <laughs> They, they don't help him because they dress him in the oldest old man clothes that they could find, which I, I don't quite understand. Yeah, he's, Did everyone in the 80s just dress like that? Is that what what was happening? I think so. I don't so. see any other characters. Well, I, I, this speaks to your point earlier, though, about his characterization, because he, he's wearing these like turtleneck, not turtleneck, but he's wearing like sweater vests, right? And like button up shirts with ties. He looks like a nerd the whole movie. But I'm guessing that's to just to like make his characterization more like a a square cop, a straight cop kind of thing. Um, I I do need to make the uh, make it clear. I wouldn't say I love this movie, but I do think it's great fodder for our discussion. It's a really you good know? way to put it. <laughs> this is great fodder, uh, and it's a it's a great kind of like one of those. 80s movies that really spawned a bunch of other action tropes that either in the sequels or just sort of like they they just did it differently they did the same thing kind of thing but I, I agree with you it's it's not an especially like special movie it's not particularly epic it, it's you could watch it and think they don't need to make sequels that would right cool right one and done okay asshole but of course they made uh, three more after this I'm glad I'm glad we got number one under under our belt um is this a Christmas movie? That's up to you. 
they're trying to make it a Christmas movie, definitely. Okay. Okay, but yeah. uh, in my in my opinion, I don't equate this with Christmas at all, except for the Christmas stuff that's in the movie. What it's did like, you think? It's your first watch. I think it's a Christmas movie, but it's a California Christmas movie. And us both okay. being okay. from California, like the movie ideal of Christmas is like snow and Chicago Christmas. But the reality of Christmas for a big portion of people is definitely not snow. So, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, but it did come out in March, the... which hurts, hurts that concept of it being a Christmas movie. <laughs> That's funny. It's, it weirdly brings up the comparison to Die Hard, mm-hmm. which comes out in the next year, right? Which everyone, well, a lot of people these days talk about Die Hard as a genuine Christmas movie. And lots of people watch Die Hard on Christmas. But I've never heard someone be like, oh, Lethal Weapon 1, Christmas. Don't worry. You know, I was driving before you were itching your daddy's pants. Right. Which is, you know what I mean? Like, what? But then what happens? You start the movie and there's Christmas music right away. And you're like... I I legitimately was worried I I had the wrong movie for a couple minutes there. It's like, what is this? That opening was something. I do want to... So, okay. So, first off, my overall reaction to the movie is that it's fun. And I actually was kind of somewhat charmed by the buddy copness of Glover and uh, and Gibson. And I I enjoyed the romp mostly because of... The, the characters and not because of the plot at all, which makes sense in a you know dumb 80s action movie that we'll, we'll get to. And I don't know. I imagine whoever worked on this script was had some cocaine involved at parts. <laughs> Probably. Because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's weird. But, yeah, that's kind of my thing. One way that I could reinterpret this movie, though, Ruben, is, is it's a battle of two famous psychotic actors in Mel Gibson and Gary Busey. <laughs> Right. I was stoked to see Gary Busey's name in the uh, initial credit. Hi, I'm Gary Busey. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Joe is me. I mean, I think Gary Busey has always been an, an uh, open, openly psycho, you know, kind of dude. And, and Mel Gibson had just hid his psychosis <laughs> up until uh, 10 or 15 years ago or something. Well, I feel like I feel like Busey's yeah. uh, a little tame in this. He has that whole lighter scene, He's... but other than that, he doesn't have like that the wild crazy that Mel Gibson's displaying. Yeah, and it's it's confusing because you have Gary Busey, who is just genuinely insane. You don't even have to give him <laughs> lines; just, just put him in the scene, let him just go nuts. But I, I agree, he's so kind of timid and like just quiet and trying to be intense. Which is so funny because in in 2021, looking back, like, gosh, I just wish they would let these two <laughs> insane actors just go more insane. And I thought I thought Busey was going to snap and, you know, become <laughs> this the psycho uh, character guy. But he never really did. He was just just there. Well, my first reaction after completing the movie is uh, this is like I'm sure it's happening all over 1980s movies, but the heroization of police officers and the uh, transition into the license to kill for the police, because that becomes like the great change in Danny Glover's character. No, whatever. The point being, no killing. He goes from mm-hmm. like the idealistic, I'll shoot him in the leg. Boom, still alive. You know why we question him? Because I got him in the leg. To the, the understanding of like shoot to kill. So yeah. Yeah. That, and at the end, we, we see that full circle when he's got shoot the bad guy to death yeah Yeah, together 
true partners together best um, friends and your reaction to the mental health aspect of it i feel like there's something to be said about the treatment of mel gibson's character by the chief and he wants the cash i've seen it a hundred times but he'll come around what might be more commonplace in our present police forces because our present police forces are also filled with um, people who know combat and like deal with some psych- psychological yeah like I don't know, trauma or something trauma right? yeah exactly um danny glover won a oh no what is it called the image award i believe from the naacp oh okay and uh his wife in the movie also won that award for best actress in the wow. image awards huh. and so you want to know the who... movie for <laughs> 70 seconds or so but i i, I liked her character she's nice yeah, she had that one scene where she call, calls him out for not taking out the trash. Hey, Sarge, thanks for taking out the garbage. Yeah, I like that. I was like, that's some real shit. She's like, hey, I'm with my friend. She's like, shut up, take out the trash, come on. But honey, I'm, I'm entertaining our guests. You're being an asshole. Um, so yeah, shout out to Danny Glover. In researching that, Denzel Washington has won the award 13 times, twice winning it four <laughs> years in a row. <laughs> Sounds right. Denzel's in a movie, they're like, you have to give it to him he's there like four or five times maybe more he's been nominated and not won wow yeah well, he didn't win for he got, he got game though in this cabinet right yeah king kong ain't got shit on me that's a lot prince and michael jackson are both winners of this award as well oh they're definitely elevating uh danny glover's i don't know station okay so lethal weapon one raj meet your new partner The one is is added later, uh, retroactively. We open up with Jingle Bells, I think. The song, Jingle Bells. Jingle bell time is a swell time. And we got a nice helicopter shot that's flying over L.A. at night. And at first I'm like, come on, you know, these old movies, like, let's take 10 minutes of the credits to get to this movie, you know? Right. It's boring. Like, come on, let's speed it up. But I liked how they did this because the shot eventually... Is just swooping over all this kind of skyline of lights of LA and you know, all this, this cityness. And it eventually kind of zooms in on a building and then it kind of slowly zooms into one room. And then you see a young lady with her boobs hanging out in that room. And that now the movie has started. That is our transition to start. I like movie, to which imagine kind of a cool technique. that in March of 1987, there were a bunch of young men who went to see this movie. And when that scene first came on like that being the the first person we see there being a lot of whistling mm. and cheering like, like mm. a lot of cat calling from the 80s i don't know yeah. if that's what happened yeah but it's what i imagine well and this is my first 80s uh cliches that show up in this movie <laughs> um which is just boobies like boobies seemingly for no reason i don't mind the boobies <laughs> per se but you want some boobies with the story at least right that's that's how i would prefer but you definitely get that sense of, of a bunch of guys making this movie who are like, we got to have some, some tits in there because people are going to get bored. You know, <laughs> we're not going to see someone get shot for another 30 minutes. So we better well, get some, some boobs in there. Yeah. And if you show Nip in the first scene, then all of a sudden every scene afterward is eligible or it could just happen. <laughs> the, uh, the silent threat of more nipples <laughs> might be around any corner. That's true. 
That's true. That's a good point, actually. Good and point. This just... It also it, it also sort of separates the the, the chaff and the wheat, right? Because if you if you went in this movie with your mom or some weird thing, it's like no, that's it. You're you're done. You know. Yeah. Good call. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to this scene because it's a very important scene. And it makes absolutely no fucking sense as the movie goes on. But yeah. it, I, I will give it, I, I feel like they're going for a noir kind of a feel here, right? Am I wrong about that? That's, that's, I, I didn't see that, but you saying that, okay, yeah, you need to start with a body. Yeah, just in the sense of like, there's, there's a death of this woman and it's a suicide and there's a mystery and that mystery is going to propel the audience into being invested i guess but uh, i don't know yeah. we see this woman and she has her boobs out and then she's alone in like a high rise hotel room or a condo or something like that and she's acting like she's on drugs uh, which, you know, when you're in the 80s, there's a certain way you act if you're on drugs. And she's acting that way with, she's like, you know, gently clawing at her, her cheek and her chin or something. Is one of the gestures. And we see her lean over and snort some powder. And then she climbs onto the railing on the patio and jumps off. And right away, my first big problem, and actually the, the scene of her jumping and the way they film it with, you see the camera kind of going past the building really fast yeah. and you see this kind of helicopter shot coming up. I thought it was really cool. But my problem is, is that drugs or not, this woman jumped off of what, I don't know, what would you say, the 10th floor or something? I would say 10 floors is correct. So it's it's a pretty long fall, right? And this woman is just completely stoically silent on her way to the afterlife, which I need at least a little bit of voiceover, Ruben, of like, oh, <laughs> it doesn't have to be a full on scream. It could be, but it's just, it's so awkward because she jumps and in silence, we just see her fall and then she smashes into a, a car on the street. And she's dead, but miraculously, her body and her boobs, thankfully, are not damaged in the fall. And they, she is quite a. Uh, she looks intact. There's no blood. There's no gore, and her boobs are still sticking out when she lands, which is a little awkward. Anyway, so that's the kind of mystery, and you know, like yeah. where we well, go. She lands. Anyways, yeah. yeah, she lands very lovely. She can have the open casket. Well, we actually go from we go from nearly naked lady to fully naked Danny Glover. <laughs> that's a good point you remember that nip tease you were just talking about <laughs> here's that payoff right away right you thought you'd have to wait for more nips here's man nips and danny glover's <laughs> chest which i i look at his body and i'm like oh he's not 71 years old wow that's it kind of needed that shirtless scene in there because i i would think he was actually older yeah. anyways the jingle bell music ends the the woman has committed suicide that we have just seen and this is the first mention or allusion to suicide in this movie of which there's many for some reason over and over and over we cut to danny glover homie is in the bath taking a bath and his family which consists of two daughters a son and a wife i believe one of the daughters is older they all come in at the same time Surprise! like happy birthday dad One of the daughters is drinking age. Right. Yeah, that is. She talks about grass and uh, drinking later. You are right. Yeah. So older it's daughter. This scene in, it's, it's this scene in the movie that I'm like, this is my personal hell 
portrayed <laughs> in about three seconds of film. Because one, if I'm, I like baths a lot, Ruben. I don't know if you know this about me. I, I love me. I did not know that. Bath. I took a bath today, and I'm not lying. Okay. It was great. Anyway, so. Well, um, real quick, Pete. Um, yeah. I was going to say, I don't know if I bought Danny Glover taking a bath in the morning. Like, what kind of man's taking a bath in the morning? But hmm. how the other half lives. Yeah, before work, you don't take a bath. Right? Okay. Ba- baths are for leisure and, uh, you know, like bodily repair, in my opinion. It's not, you're not going to get clean before work. And you are right. That's, that's a weird time <laughs> to take a bath. But maybe he's like, it's my birthday. <laughs> that's, that's all I can think I'm of. a bath. Yeah. Yeah. In which case, I'm, I'll just talk from my point of view. I have one baby daughter who's two, as you know, two-ish. But if I had this whole family and I was taking a bath. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. They would know you don't mess with dad during bath time. <laughs> Particularly with the kids because of the nakedness and the dad cock and all that. Right. But no, we don't care about that. He's in the bath and and we actually see the door get kicked open by the family. It's a very quick scene. (laughs) The door is kicked open and they all run in with the cake. Dad, happy birthday. Oh my God, we love you. And in which case I'm like, I hope you have pretty good bubble bath going there, Mr. Danny Glover. Which he doesn't. Uh, Which he doesn't. (laughs) He has a scant cloud of bubbles that look like he had been in that tub for like a week. (laughs) Not a bubble bath by any means. In which case, there's just one... Okay, family, it's my birthday. I'm taking a bath. Like, leave me the hell alone. Happy birthday, dear daddy. Happy birthday to you. In my bath time. Right? I'll be out in 20 minutes and you can harass me on my birthday. Thank you very much. But two, it's that his kids are like giving him kisses in the bath. We love you, dad. (laughs) 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 He's naked. Your dad cock is like right there and no one addresses it, right? All you would need is the older daughter to be in the back and be like, this, this is weird, you know? And you're like, okay, at least they live in the real world, I guess. I don't know. But this bothered me a lot. And I like his family. I like Murtaugh's, Murtaugh's family overall. You got a hell of a nice family there. It's just this, this poor guy. He's just trying to relax. Take a fucking bath. Leave him alone. The guys in the 80s aren't tough. They're sensitive people. They show their emotions around women and shit like that. Anyways, that's well, my maybe bath we can uh, call this ap- episode "Lethal Weapon" at Dad Cock. <laughs> dad Cock. Well, there's a whole Workaholics episode about oh, uh, Dad Dick. I think is what how they phrase it. And the basic thinking is that once you become a dad proper, your your dick gets much bigger. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's what the that's the the thinking on the show. So Danny Glover, uh, aka Murtaugh, Murtaugh which is his last name. I can't remember his first name. He gets ready for work. He puts on a sweater vest. He is a policeman. Uh, the redoing the kitchen and a remodel, which is a, a detail that is shown but never talked about. He has a nice family. They seem they seem like a good, good family. Then we cut to Mel Gibson in a Christmas tree yard. That's not our Mel intro. Our Mel intro what? comes right after... Our Mel Gibson intro comes right after Danny Glover's intro. Yeah. And he's naked. Oh, they go they go back and forth, right? You're right, you're right. There, there's a bit of cutting back and forth. We oh. cut to Mel Gibson. <laughs> Does, did he go to sleep with a cigarette? Is that what's happening when he wakes up? It's so confusing. It has scrapes and hairs. I don't know. I feel like the dog comes into his trailer as if like the yeah. dog was sent out to go do something. 
Mm-hmm. So maybe Which he's kind of like he's sleeping. He's doing that thing where like he doesn't want to open his eyes, but he's already starting his day, starting with a cigarette. Mm-hmm. So he just starts smoking. But then he's like choking on the cigarette. Yeah. But, but you're right. We get Mel Gibson. He's got to be I don't know 30, 28 or something. I don't know. Old these. Uh, but he's he's gorgeous as far as Mel Gibson goes. Right. He's all skinny. He's got a great butt. He's got like the six pack sort of eighties skinny. You know that skinny six pack that lots of uh, people had. I like that the place he's staying or that trailer. It's like a line of trailers that look like they're just on the side of the road. Yeah, they really do. they don't seem thing. like it's in a trailer park or any sort of established place. They just some they're trailers. just under some big electrical poles. <laughs> That's where you want to be. That's where you want to be. All right. And then we cut back to, oh, we see some Mel Gibson butt, which is for a good couple seconds. Right. We get some, I, I feel like I appreciate the evening out. Like here we, we got these, uh, this woman's boobies in the beginning of the movie. Right. And here's some, some, <laughs> here's some Murtaugh dad dick and here's some Gibson <laughs> butt <laughs> sort of balance the scales. In which case I'm like, okay, all right, that's, that's a little better. Yeah. So we cut back to Murtaugh's house. His wife is making breakfast, and for some reason, his wife only has really one uh, character kind of detail, and that's that she makes bad food. Yes. Ooh. It's rough. Uh, how's a brown roast like substance? And this brings me back, Ruben, to my my one of my 80s tropes, which okay. I didn't even consider an 80s trope until we started this. So it's eating food that is just bad tasting food. Or is gross tasting and then continuing to eat it and then just, I don't know, being like, whatever. Well, look, I enjoyed the meal. Thanks a lot. Bullshit, but thanks anyway. Right? That's happened in three movies. All three movies now. There's a scene or a character that eats crappy food and is like, God, this food is terrible. And then they just eat it. <laughs> and then they laugh. <laughs> Rat poison. <laughs> That's great. In the fly, what was what was that food? In the in the fly, it was um, it was really subtle, but it, I think it's when they they go to the coffee shop or the restaurant. It's one of the only places they go outside of the apartment lab. And mm-hmm. there's a there's a point where Jeff Goldblum is like, "Oh, this is gross," and then he just eats it anyway. Okay. Which makes me question, Ruben, was food shitty in the eighties? Was everyone just eating crappy tasting food and like, well, this is life, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Late seventies, you get the innovation of the microwave, and by the mid eighties, you had whole cookbooks that were devoted to like how to cook a five course meal in the microwave. So, oh yeah, I would say that's, food that's was like pretty shitty. <laughs> okay, so yeah, his his wife can't cook, uh, but she makes food anyway, and then he goes off to work. That's when we cut to Gibson fully clothed, tragically, and he's trying to buy cocaine from guys who work at a Christmas tree place. Okay, so let's do it. How much? How much for how much? And this this is where we start getting Mel Gibson's characterization, and it's weird because they they skirt this line between between going like he's crazy and he's suicidal, which he is. That you know he almost shoots himself in the face right after this. Are you calling me crazy? You think I'm crazy? Yeah. Yeah. But then throughout the movie, it's like, but maybe he's not crazy. Yeah, you want to see crazy? I'll tell you. <laughs> maybe he's just a badass. <laughs> this is where it gets kind of convoluted for me because I'm like, I think in this, in the world of this movie, the crazier you are, the more badass you are. Now that's a real badge. I'm a real cop, and this is a real fucking gun. I guess. I think that. Do you know what I mean? Well, 
he's crazy and he's confirmed crazy because we have the police doctor saying like advocating for him well um, let's let's just let's just fast forward to that scene too because this is all very redundant right he he busts the the cocaine guys um and you know he like fights him and beats him up three down there's one loose in here he's got black hair and a red shirt he then he goes ass. home and we he goes home and then in a very uncomfortable way we watch him think about shooting himself in the face not in a in a subversive subtext kind of way where he's looking you know he looks at a picture of his wife who we're told has died right and then yeah. he has a, his pistol which he puts up to his forehead and you're like geez and i'll say this scene takes way too long oh yeah uh, i have uh, if we're just tr- it's overkill and the reason why it's overkill is because we're 16 minutes into this movie and mm-hmm. everyone knows he's not going to kill himself. The movie would be over if he killed himself, yeah. which I mean, all you have to do, to, you could, you could show he's potentially suicidal without putting him, having him put his gun in his mouth for a good 30 seconds while with intense music while we just watch. Like, and we don't even know our, this character very well yet. Right. We're just right. kind of meeting him. So it's a little intense. And then if, as if that's not clear, we cut to a police doctor who's telling Mel Gibson's boss, this guy's going to fucking kill himself. Well, you're making a mistake by keeping him in the field. The man is suicidal. And in which case, us, the viewer, were like, I mean, we, we know that. We just saw him for way too long in the movie eat a gun and like cry to himself. But no, we need a we need a doctor coming in after the fact just to reiterate so the viewers don't forget that he's unstable and suicidal. So the doctor tells uh, Mel Gibson's boss, the cop guy, um, yeah, this guy's <laughs> – and this doesn't sound like any doctor I've heard too. He's like, he's definitely going to kill himself for sure. And you're like, you're a doctor? I don't think they, they talk that way. Edge, sir. I'm telling you he may be psychotic. But uh, she's like, I don't care. I'm a doctor. He's going to kill himself. You better get him off the force. And do you, what, does he, what does he say, Ruben? You brought it up earlier. The, 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 the boss's reaction to that information. Well, he says, uh, is it 100% that's the only thing that could happen? And you're sure of that diagnosis? You have no doubts. You know that. And she's like, well, no, there can be any number of things that can happen, but it's too much of a risk. No, there are no absolutes in life. And, and then he says, well, I guess if he kills himself, I'll be wrong. Can't We're going to wait. We can't and then if wait, he offs sir. himself, then we'll know I was wrong. And then he goes to the bathroom. <laughs> he goes to the bathroom. And then she calls him an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Asshole. Oh, okay. That seems like a very professional uh, sort of office here, but... Anyways, okay, so um, so that happens, and then very quickly, kind of convolutedly, we get told that Mel Gibson is becoming someone else's partner, right? And then th- this all happens really fast, too, because Murdoch goes to, to work. He goes to the police station. Do you know a man named uh, Michael Hotsacker? And then they tell him, oh, this guy, this old war buddy has been trying to get a hold of you for the last few days. Your office called. He's been trying to reach you for three days now. Right. And he goes like, oh, old war buddy, okay. And then they tell him, and then we got this this woman who had killed herself, uh, you know, last night. And he's like, okay. And then the name of the woman who killed herself. The jumper's name is Amanda Hunsaker. Was the, is the same name of his war friend that's trying to get a hold of him. So he puts it together that the woman who has killed herself is his war buddy's daughter. What, what was the name? The parents. Oh, parents. Michael and Claire. Claire. Um, and then Mel Gibson comes, and, and we're told, oh, he's the new partner for 
Murtaugh. And 1949, uh, shout out to Grand Brook. That's some news on the Hunsaker case, Raj. That was quick. So was the autopsy. They're not calling it a suicide. He's the other black actor in this movie. He's always like dressed up real smooth. I looked at his uh, IMDb from, I, I recognized him from the movie Colors with Sean Penn. Um, sure. He plays like uh, the second. You have man. seen some movies. You I have watched That's movies. That's a good movie. All right. All right. That's not like even on beat, but that's how it starts. Um, Close enough. Yeah, but uh, Graham Brooks is in that movie. I saw him in this movie. I was like, ooh, that's pretty cool. He is also in Lethal Weapon 2 and a bunch of other stuff. So, So, yeah, so basically... Murtaugh's war buddies trying to get a hold of him. His daughter's the one that had committed suicide. And Mel Gibson is his new partner. So Mel Gibson, he's really, you know, shaggy. What is? And he, he still has a bit of an Australian accent at, at points. Ah, uh, yes, I know. I don't know if that was on purpose or if they cared. But, I didn't uh, notice. Right? He's like Australian, I think, right? He is. Mad yeah, Max he is. was before this? Oh, yeah. Mad Max is way um, but yeah, right, definitely so. Australian, and uh, I didn't hear the accent at all. But I tend to miss Australian accents. Hmm. It's there's a little un- undercurrent of it, I think, here and there. So um, he he doesn't look like a cop, which is funny because Murtaugh doesn't look like a cop either. He's wearing he's wearing stuff my grandpa would wear, you know, when he was in his his eighty five years. Well, they're both detectives. Anyways. Oh, okay. That makes that makes more sense. They're both detectives, which is why they get linked up together. And also, if you're a detective, you get to dress how you want to dress. Oh, right, right. You don't. You're not the uh, the plain clothes. And their clothes are definitely a reflection of their their characters, almost to a caricature kind of point. But anyway, Mel Gibson is all shaggy. Uh, he rolls up to Murtaugh's office, and he's kind of in the corner. And um, the supporting actor is telling him, "Oh, you got a new, you know, a new partner who's coming up." Blah, 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 blah. And then Mel Gibson pulls out his gun to, to clean it or something. And then Murtaugh sees him and goes, gun! 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 And I actually love the shot of, of him running up to Mel Gibson. Because Mel Gibson's like, where? Where's the gun? Yeah. <laughs> he just runs right into him. <laughs> but then Gibby, because he's this military, uh, paramilitary badass guy, you know, gets the upper hand. You know, points his gun at, at Murtaugh on the ground after he overpowers him. And is like, hey, I'm your new partner. Yeah, what the hell, man? Raj. Meet your new partner. And then we got the classic odd couple setup. Then and there. Well, I think that setup's great. I don't know if this was a line, but it was pretty much the sentiment. Uh, looks like we're both fucked, I think is what Danny Glover says. And that's a great <laughs> yeah, way to is like a, create it a is partnership a in a story. Nobody wants to work with me. Basically, I'm fucked. Because mm-hmm. if they're both fucked, there's a ton of tension automatically. I don't want to work with you. And then yeah. kind of just let them free in the world and see what happens. Looks like we both the fucked. Yeah, and I honestly, I like the juxtaposition of these characters as foils. Not just in a sort of like, well, they're not the same, they're opposite. Because that's not really the case. But in a lot of ways, you know, Danny Glover's at the end of his career, right? He's older. Mel Gibson is younger. He's kind of starting his career, right? Mel, um, Murtaugh has a family and a house and his fishing boat. And he's more established in old school. And, and Gibson is sort of like, you know, crazy and suicidal and uh, brash. And, uh, you know, and I, I like how they kind of let the characters just be the characters and let them play off each other instead of being like, you know, because they could have made this into a more direct, odd couple kind of a of a relationship, and I, I don't think that would have worked as well. It would it would have been more campy, you know, if one was like, "I like to be clean," and one's like, "I like to be dirty," you know, like the kind of dumb 
binary. I actually enjoyed the nuance of, of our two characters. And and realistically for me, that's that's what holds me through the the rest of the movie is kind of the is the relationship between the two characters and how it kind of morphs and changes and, and develops um, as they go through stuff. Because it it's it's less and less the actual action, and it's certainly less and less the, the plot as the movie goes on from here on out, because it just keeps going. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I like the setup, which is a cool setup. Then we flash to the introduction to the bad guys, which we haven't met any official bad guys yet. I got a lot I could say about these bad guys, but I don't want to waste too much time. Because for the most part, they're pretty boring. The main bad guy, you know, the, the head honcho of this criminal organization. He's very much a Bond villain. Is is that what it is? He, he This actor, I feel like, is on, like, One Tree Hill or, like, Seventh Heaven or something. Like, he's just kind huh. of a cheesy, you know, like, yeah, it could easily be, like, a 70s Bond kind of a bad guy. It, it reminds me of the El Presidente from Commando. He's there, but then he's not really the final boss. He's just kind of the the money guy or the the power guy, you know? I yeah. Know. I feel like uh, the 80s were definitely looking for a, a villain, because most of the good villains of the 80s in my head are like aliens and horror. Russians? Middle Easterners? Uh, I feel like the the whole Eastern Bloc <laughs> villain is always very nondescript. It really is, yeah. It really is. And it's not because he has a lot of power and he has, has plans. It's he, mostly because he's on the same level of Mel Gibson that he's this super war vet uh, assassin, you know, he, gun we for hire him, kind of guy. We gotta call him by his proper name. Who are you? Mr. Jonathan. What? No, no, I'm sorry, Mr. Joshua. That's hardly important, but if it matters, you may call me Mr. Joshua. Mr. Joshua. Yeah, so, okay, so there's like a, I don't know, we're in some sort of nightclub kind of a setting. Gary Busey's there, in which I get excited. I see Gary Busey in this movie, and I'm like, let's go. It's about to get weird and bananas in here. And it never does. It never does. Anyways. No, it's it's, the most exciting thing about Gary Busey is his look. (laughs) Like those micro those bangs sticking out. He has micro bangs. He's, like he's a blonde dude, but I feel like his hair is even bleached in this because it's like a white yeah. blonde. Um, yeah, it looks like it's it had fallen out, and then they they put it back or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And then this is this is one of my favorite parts of the movie because you know you can imagine the the movie makers saying we got to show that Mr. Joshua in Gary Busey is a freaking badass. How can we do that with, I don't know, five bucks of material? <laughs> How can we do that with the least amount of money spent that isn't dialogue? And someone's like, well, I got a lighter. I kind of burned myself yesterday. That hurt. What if he did that? He just burned him with a lighter. And someone's like, genius. Brilliant. So we need to show the, the, the bad guy has Gary Busey, and Gary Busey will do anything for this bad guy. And so what does he do? What happens, Ruben? Tell me. Well, I thought it was really clever how this worked out because he asked the... uh, There's some other guy trying to buy drugs off of him. You wish to make a purchase, yes? Yes, yes. Jesus Christ, yes. Mm -hmm. He asked him if he he smokes, and it's the 80s, so yeah. Yeah, I smoke. I thought this was going to be like, oh, you're weak-minded type thing. But uh, Hmm. he's like... uh, Do you smoke? Yeah. Let me see your lighter. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll show you my lighter. Give me your lighter. My lighter? Your lighter! After, like, this whole weird interaction, like, I don't know, I'd just be trying to get out of there at that point. 
But I hand over it's the lighter. This guy's tra- yeah, this guy's trying to buy heroin, and uh, he's like, let me demonstrate my, my henchman's <laughs> resistance to pain. And the guy's like, I just want heroin. You guys are freaking crazy. What is happening? Jesus Christ, man. You guys are fucking crazy, man. Come on. Like, <laughs> they just told him, just keep on saying stuff like that. You'll be good. So the bad guy slash general grabs that lighter and the man's hand real quick and kind of they they got control of the the dude and they make him light the lighter and he holds his thumb down and they're holding the holding the flame and then mr joshua steps forward and <laughs> rolls up his sleeve all slow with his micro bangs the the bad guy's like put out your arm mr joshua mr joshua your left arm, please. And Mr. Joshua puts out his arm and he's just like burning. You can tell it's hurting him. Like you can see in his face that it's it's not like he's without pain. But uh, yeah. he's diligent and takes the burn. And then, and then the bad guy like lets everything stop. He's like, what is he saying? Like, why don't you let Susan take a look at that? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he totally does. Have Endo look at that, Mr. Joshua. I was like, that's okay. not badass. He needs medical treatment now. <laughs> I know you just you just undermine that whole scene where why don't you let the nurse take a look at that? That's gonna be a nasty burn. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. And that, there's there's a couple times in this movie where where they set something up and then they immediately don't give a shit about that information or that setup. Oh, <laughs> and that's one of those points where it's like, look, it's hardcore. He burned a lighter for like twenty seconds. Why don't you go check out the nurse real quick though? You know, you don't want to get to get infected, Mister Joshua. Right. <laughs> like, okay. After we meet the bad guys and Gary Busey gets a little burn, uh, we then go to Murtaugh with Gibby, and they're meeting up with the war friend from Murtaugh's past who was trying to get a hold of him recently that we were told in the previous scene. This is where the plot starts to, to come about, which is just, it's just a problem because the more that they try and force the plot into this, the more it just doesn't, it doesn't really hold up. Anyway, so they, they're meeting with the banker guy who's turns out his daughter was the one who jumped off the building in the very first opening scene. The autopsy report showed that Amanda was poisoned. Uh, and Murtaugh's like, your daughter's dead. He's like, yeah, and he's acting sad. Uh, he says, he tells Murtaugh that he called him because his daughter was into pornography and he wanted him to help her get him out. And she then we have an tapes. intense... She was making videotapes. Get her out of the stuff she was into. She was making uh, videotapes, pornographic. That's how he described it. She, she was making videotapes, which is so funny to hear in 2021 have porn described as, well, she was making videotapes. A little uh, videotapes. side note. The competition between VHS and Betamax really found its conclusion when the porn industry went to VHS, leaving... Mm. Uh, Betamax in the dust, and the rest is history. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> oh man! One thing I I I want to point out in this movie before I forget is that this movie is also weirdly like a post Vietnam War movie in a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure. Because all right, all the characters were in Vietnam. Um, all of the fallout that the plot leads to is from Vietnam stuff. Right, well, so this this is weirdly like a post-war movie, which I feel like they could try to connect the suicide stuff to sort of PTSD and shell shock kind of vibes, but I feel like they never do. That never those well, lines don't get kind of put together for me to where you go, oh, this is why Gibby is crazy and suicidal to some extent. I pulled your file. 
says you worked in the Phoenix Project in Vietnam. This is why Gary Busey can <laughs> take a lighter to the arm like a man. Yeah, it's interesting <laughs> that, like, like you're saying, it's not brought up because I feel like a lot of that terminology and understanding really wasn't in the ether at that point yet. Like, I'm sure it had those concepts had been developed and like researched. But I don't think PTSD was something people were really talking about in 1987. Um, but I was impressed and also surprised as a first-time watcher when this scene happens and they're in the bank. And after it, when Mill Gibson asks what happened, and Danny Glover says he has 20 years as a police officer, or 25. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah. And he's 50, so maybe he had like 10 years in the military. Who knows? But yeah, it is it is interesting because all the characters are, are Vietnam vets. And it, I feel like there's a better movie with the vet stuff sort of more on the forefront buried in here somewhere. You know, because that's such a compelling sort of uh, fact. And then it's a compelling part to the plot because what happens in Vietnam has a group of these bad guys getting together and setting up the, the drug system that they do as a direct result of the chaos of the war. Right? That's interesting, compelling stuff, but we don't really get it. <laughs> Here we're just told, yeah, they were badasses in the war. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess that's good enough. And if any li- listeners know of a movie that depicts that part of the war, uh, go ahead and uh, telegram us that. Hmm. Yeah, what about uh, Jacob's Ladder? I'm looking for something that, that also, uh, I've heard of it, something that would show the drug trade. Yeah. There is something I can think of it right now. I can't remember what the movie is, but I know. Oh, it's in Blow. They're getting a bunch of stuff from. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. There's a whole like war uh, war section in that movie, isn't it? Yeah. You've seen some movies, Ruben. You've seen some films, dude. I like it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, and at this point. I legitimately remember Ruben as, as a, as a, as a kid, as a child of sorts watching this movie and getting to the bank scene with the old guy and his bank and his dead daughter. And I'm just like, okay, this is, you're losing me in this film, right? There's no action. No one has been shot yet. Really. Uh, we've had some boobies and a suicide, but it's waning on me. At least my 10 year old self. I need some, I need some action here. Um, which this is the weirdest scene in the movie after this uh because murtaugh gets a call that there's a suicide jumper right and this is our second overt suicide well no third the third overt suicide reference depiction character thing which i'm just like is this movie about suicide it doesn't seem like it wants to be okay so i'm just gonna skip through this scene because it, it really doesn't add anything and it's just filling up space uh, there's a guy who's suicidal. He's going to jump off a building. A random guy that Mel Gibson goes up to stop him. Leave me alone! Please leave me alone! Leave me alone! Uh, and talk him down. And instead, he he handcuffs him and then jumps off. In which case, you're like, oh no, they're going to die. And... <laughs> but what the camera didn't show us was a huge safe landing pad that the fire department had laid out. In which case, there was no real danger in the first place. Were we supposed to believe that yep. the other guy didn't see that inflatable pad? I guess so. It's it's really bad filmmaking because okay. the guy's like, I'm going to kill myself. And, but the camera won't show us what's on the ground in front of him, which is an enormous balloon that you can't miss. Right. So And, and that makes it more problematic because Murtaugh then gets upset at Mel Gibson because he's like, you're crazy. Are you trying to kill yourself? In which case I'm like, well, no. 
He jumped on the balloon. He's fine. He's actually having a good time. He loved it. He had a great time. <laughs> and then we have this weird scene where they go into a store with Murtaugh and Riggs. Get in here! And he's like, are you really suicidal? And he's like, yeah, I'm suicidal. And then he puts a gun back to his chin, I think. And it's another tense moment. Do you want to hear that sometimes I think about eating a bullet? And this is this is my first moment of Danny Glover just sweating and cursing. And I'm just like, I just wish the whole movie was mostly... Shut up! Yes or no! You want to die? Yes or no! How am asking a question! Just him sweating and cursing under his, his breath. Which it actually is. I, I appreciate that. Uh, so Mel Gibson is suicidal. Every single day I wake up and I think of a reason not to do it. We establish again... Cool. Then they leave, which, which honestly, Ruben, this whole scene could have just been cut out of the movie, right? You're crazy! There's a suicide jumper. He's not related. There's not really character development beyond, oh, he's suicidal. We already knew that. We knew all this, right? It's a waste of time. So I, I don't really understand everything else about the plot I, I, I have comprehended or figured out from re-watching the movie, um, except for this part. They go to a house, like a nice house, how, why is this a tip for them? Do you know? Did you catch this? Beverly Hills. We got an address on Amanda Hunsaker's meal ticket. It was because... Like, where did they get the address to this house? Oh, who knows, right? <laughs> Beverly Hills. We got an address on Amanda Hunsaker's meal ticket. They, let's rewind a little bit because they tell... There's some cop who tells probably our, our supporting actor. What's his name? He tells Murtaugh, oh... The woman who jumped off the building was poisoned. She was murdered. Uh, so she would have died whether she jumped off the building or not, which, which you're like, wait, what? The autopsy report showed that Amanda was poisoned. Even if she hadn't jumped, she'd still be dead. And then, and, and then the, the story is that her drugs were laced with, like, poison or, like, Drano or something. Yeah, like So that when she did them... <laughs> Right, right. So when she when she snorted the drugs at the very first scene of the movie, that was a death sentence that she was going to die anyway. But we also watched her jump off the balcony of her own volition. There was no one else in the scene. There was no other suggestion that other people were there with this woman who committed suicide. My second major problem, Ruben, is I've never snorted Drano uh -huh. before. But I imagine if you snorted a drug and it had drain cleaner poison in it, you you wouldn't just be like on drugs. Like you would be dying and miserable, and your organs would be melting. Well, you know <laughs> like, what would happen like, is you'd be screaming in pain or something. Something would, would happen. Prize is someone doctored the pills. Jesus. Every capsule was loaded with drain cleaner. If she hadn't jumped, she would have been dead inside fifteen minutes. You would get warm, and then. You would kind of undress, probably get into like some type of light robe, maybe lie around for a while, sway a little bit, go outside, catch a breeze. And then... hmm. It's like I'm so high. I really, I really don't think so. Like if you snorted, if you snorted Ajax, you would be in pain. You would be fucking miserable, right? Your eyes would be bleeding or something. But no, we're just told we're just told this information. Which is a big problem because there's it it, go, it completely goes against what we were shown in the beginning of this, the movie, right? Which is this woman do drugs and then stand on the balcony. And it's not like she was being pushed. It's not like she was being coerced. No one had a gun on her and she just silently fell off the, the window. Doesn't make any sense. Absolutely no sense. And it would actually be more of a mystery if there was like a, a shadowy figure in her apartment, right? And you're like, oh, who was that? What the hell? But no, there's, that's not in the movie. Anyways, so, okay. So somehow the 
information about the we're told that the hooker who reported the suicidal woman was the actual one who poisoned her and then we're later told the bad guys paid her to poison the hooker which is bad guys paid the, the hooker to poison the daughter which also doesn't make sense if they wanted to kill her because they could have just killed her they could have poisoned her themselves anyways whatever <laughs> we're gonna get into the weeds of the bad guys plot here which never really makes sense um so we go to a nice house with with uh Riggs and, and murtaugh and there's a, a nice lady who lets them in the front door and you i kind of like this because they're just kind of riffing they're like oh well we do have a warrant i don't have a warrant and then someone opens the, the gate <laughs> yeah. and is like come on in they're like we don't need a warrant if they invite us <laughs> guys go on in make yourself at home thank you don't need a warrant with invitation <laughs> they walk up to the house and these two women are just putting like ounces of cocaine into bags it looked like <laughs> <laughs> through a giant glass window. This whole scene is very confusing. Well, at I don't first, know exactly why they're here. At first, when they're coming yep. up, they wave at Danny and mm-hmm. Mel. And Isn't that sweet? I'm thinking probable cause. And then Danny yeah. Glover like just moves over his his jacket, or yeah, his jacket to show off his gun. And they... So the ladies come out because they're uh, going to be arrested. And then there's a guy just over by the pool, maybe 50 feet away from our heroes here. He doesn't say anything. He just, he, he gets a shotgun and he starts shooting. And then Danny shoots him, but the key Danny Glover characteristic, he doesn't shoot to kill. He shoots them in the leg. Oh, my leg, man! Which literally, Ruben, is what my grandpa used to tell me. He had a 22 rifle, which okay. is basically a BB gun. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much a BB gun. And he would say, you know what? If someone breaks into this house, Peter, I'm going to shoot him right in the kneecaps. <laughs> Honorable okay. Uh, yeah, I guess that's your uh, your fantasy. <laughs> Anyways, so <laughs> Danny that... Glover's in the same ballpark as my grandpa. Like, you shoot him in the leg so you can ask him questions. Ah, which uh, he changes by the end. That's that's his character growth. By the end, he's down to murder the bad guys. So they shoot the guy in the leg. Show me your hands. Let me see him oh, right now. I want to see him right man. now. And then he has a pistol. Oh no, he has a pistol. And then Mel Gibson shoots him in the chest and he falls in the pool. He's got a gun! Pool has a weird plastic thing. And then we get this strange, horrific shot of his dead face behind like a plastic pool cover, which you're like, we didn't need that. Him falling in the pool was fine. He's dead. We get you, it. Okay. You know what I thought when I saw that? I was like, oh man, this is what could have happened to uh, Bruce Willis. Unbreakable. It almost did happen oh, to him. Yeah, it it did give me lots of anxiety, to be honest, because you assume that some stuntman who they threw into a a pool that was covered by a plastic layer on top, and then he's like suffocating in the plastic. Like, oh my god. So okay, so that didn't lead to any leads. The leads are weak. The leads are weak. The fucking leads are weak. You are weak. It's because they killed the guy, but they had the ladies, I guess. I don't know. This this is where the plot gets kind of confusing. So that's the end of their first day, is shooting the, the Scott Storch uh, lookalike, and uh, then they kind of chill out, and the, the normal cops come, and they clean up and stuff, and then they go back to Danny Glover's house. He invites Mel Gibson in for some beers. My new partner, Martin Riggs. Martin's going to join us for dinner. Right, and this is this is probably upon rewatching. This is probably my favorite scene in the movie because the pressure's off. You know, the day's over. Like we're gonna get back at it tomorrow. Whatever. Let's have some beers and let's get to know each other a little bit. And I think because Riggs saved Murtaugh's life. I'm sorry about all that shit I said out there. You saved my life. Thank you. In the the scene at the pool, 
he he likes him now, right? He's kind of like you saved my life. Like, man, all right, you're you're cool, right? So he's 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 much kinder <laughs> to Riggs than he was in the previous parts of the movie. Murtaugh's uh, drinking age daughter is attracted to Mel Gibson, and I can't say I blame her. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. I can't say I blame her here. He, he's a pretty sexy uh, '80s guy here, except for the constant chain smoking, which is just it just feels gross. So the only thing I have to say here is Riggs tells Murtaugh about some crazy sniper shot that he made during the war. And then afterward, he gives him a look that's literally like, do we just become best friends? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> but the thousand yard shot, I was impressed. I was like, damn. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's I, to me, that's you're looking in a scope that is not doesn't even have the target in your scope when you're shooting. Right. Yeah. That's just a shadow. Stuff. It's just like, I'm going to shoot over there. I hope it hits him. Um, Oh, oh, real quick. I I wanted to bring this up at the beginning. Did you catch who is responsible for the score of this movie? Not the soundtrack, which you taught me about a few movies ago, but the score. Uh, One Eric Clapton. Yeah. Eric fucking Clapton, dude. Yeah. Which is so funny because all the, all the, you know, bluesy guitar transition 80s cliches. That's silly, isn't it? Are actually good riffs. Like a lot of the times when you hear that stuff, it's really bad guitar playing, you know? Yeah. But it's Eric fucking Clapton. And you're like, that's pretty good. He's in the opening credits. I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Eric Clapton. Which, honestly, if I'm going to be completely honest, Ruben, I would have rather had Stevie Ray Vaughan than Eric Clapton. Was Stevie Ray Vaughan still alive in 87? Yeah. Oh, well, they did. Do you know about that story? It's actually an interesting story. They were both playing in Colorado or some mountain place. Mm -hmm. And they flipped a coin for who was going to play first because they both kind of respected each other as, as, uh, as artists. Stevie Ray Vaughan won or lost at however it worked. So he played first ended his set, got into a helicopter, crashed, and died. Yeah, I got a buddy who was at that concert. Really? Yeah. Buddy Steve. Wow. Yeah. I have a recording of that, actually, but it's not very good quality. Yeah. It's crazy. But I'm just saying, if that'd be one of my time machine um, stops, you know what I mean? Like, gosh, give me give me more Stevie Ray Vaughan. Clapton, he's like, do you think that you would have been able to stop him, or yeah. would that be the purpose yeah. of your time machine stop? I would be reluctant to stop them, I would be trying to switch their places because if the coin flip went another way, Clapton <laughs> would have played first. And I'm not trying to rob you know the Grim Reaper of his souls here, oh I'm just trying God. to train that out. That's all <laughs> that's, that's horrible, all. you know. Hey. It is, but that's just my opinion. Has Clapton made any music I I listened to in the last thirty plus years? You would know. You would deprive the world of tears of tears in heaven. Yeah, which would thus deprive the world of Michael Scott's beers in heaven. I mean, it's a big statement. Now you're making some some pretty wide swaths of uh, conclusions here. What if Stevie Ray Vaughan writes a song about dead air Clapton in heaven? That song isn't about Stevie Ray Vaughan. No, I I know. 
<laughs> no, it's not. It's about his daughter or something really sad. Yeah. Right? But well, yeah, I did notice that Eric Clapton wrote the score. I guess I wish, wish Stevie <laughs> Vaughan had. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not ready to make that commitment. Uh, that's, that's great. <laughs> All right. Um, Clapton. Uh, okay, so the next day, it's the the next day we wake up. It's day number two of Riggs and Murtaugh's uh, partnership, and uh, Murtaugh is is dead asleep, and he gets woken up by coffee from Riggs, who's back at his house. Whatever. Gibby goes home, sees his dog, <laughs> puts his gun in his mouth for another hour, and then comes back the next day. A couple more beers, shot, three rails, and I, I like this too because. Morning, Roger. Here, have some coffee. The fact that Gibby is already with coffee up to his, you know, Murtaugh's bedroom shows that he's already cool with the family. He's he's got in there in the morning. He's like, hey, guys, he's gotten a cup of coffee. You know, like he's in. He's in like sin. I like it. I got to imagine at some point Danny telling his wife, he's like, he saved my life today. You know what I mean? Because there's one part where he's like, never have, I don't have any scars. I don't have any baggage. Not a scratch on me. Not a scar. Got a wife, kids. I've been on this job for like 20 years and like it was all it's all smooth sailing damn 50 years old been on the force 20 years like okay yeah so i imagine yeah i bet you're right his yeah the wife is privy to like okay this guy saved my husband you know we should be cool to him here's his coffee here's your, here's his coffee take it up to him so now they're going to the hooker's house it's this it's basically them solving the case or starting to solve the case or connect the dots so they they think the hooker that they saw the hooker that was with the woman who committed suicide in the first scene actually went up and put poison in her drugs, and then she's the connection to the bad guys that hired her to do this, which, again, is so convoluted. So we go to the to the hooker's house, and they roll up outside, and there's some kids out in the street. Well, no, we're just going over there for a cup of coffee. Yeah. And they're walking up to the house, and ba-bam, classic. This is a, this is a, a cliche that you'll see in so many movies going forward, right? Where the cops are walking up to the house to get the information to solve the case. And they're just walking and then nothing happens and the whole house explodes out of nowhere. And our heroes are, you know, shot across the street kind of thing. Oh. And then Riggs finds the explosive device. And this is when we first get the sense of like Riggs is like basically Wait, there's like a, the people who made this. Ex- there's a great. Yeah great moment where uh, after the explosion i think mel gibson's possibly on fire and yeah his jacket or something yeah and danny glover's trying to like pat it out and mel gibson freaks out and says what are you fag what are you fag i was like wow (laughs) okay i did not catch that (laughs) okay that's the i guess you throw that is that improvisation or what happened here Jeez, and it's like you just had a house blow up in front of you, and your new BFF is frantically patting at your back. All right, so uh, they talk to the the neighborhood kids, who weirdly, Ruben, no one seems concerned for these kids' safety. It's very problematic because this hooker who they're trying to find was just burned alive in her house explosion, which we see because they remove a body bag. It's, they, they actually go, oh, man, was was the, the hooker lady in there? Do you think Dixie oh, no. was home? And then they cut to his <laughs> body bag. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, I guess she was. Jeez. 
At least we didn't have to look at her dead face for three minutes like the pool guy. I do want to note the uh, kid's leather jacket in this scene. Not the important Ooh. kid. He's wearing a fringe leather jacket. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And the, the kid that they end up, what would you call that, interrogating, is wearing 3D glasses the whole time. Definitely didn't ask for yeah. parent supervision. Um, I, I like that detail a lot. He's just rocking 3D movie glasses out in the world. And if you look, there's a, a shot where he has like a rubber band behind him. Oh, I didn't see that. To kind of finish the... Uh, you know, make sure they stay on. And he keeps his glasses on the whole time, right? He's like, yeah, he had a tattoo, man. I like that kid. Okay, so interrogation of this kid. Let me handle this. Be my guest. Here's the little fella that saw the guy. Hi! In which, right before it, I, they ask uh, all the kids. There's four kids there. Don't tell him your name. Don't tell me your name was going to put you in jail. And you won't see your mom. All of them are black kids. And... They ask if Danny Glover's gun is real. Is that a real gun? And he confirms that it is real. Yeah, yes, this is a real gun. And then the kid with the 3D glasses, the kid who saw something. Did he kill people? No, some guy's hurting someone. I tried to shoot him in the leg or something. He says something. This is what the closed captioning read out as. Mama say policeman shoot black people. I heard... Some lo- Mama some said lines. policemen misuse black people. Mama says police misuse black people. Yeah, so that was uh, about a pretty, I don't know, it was an interesting moment in the movie where I was like, wow, this black kid's the future in so many ways. <laughs> it really was. It was kind of, kind of uh, I appreciate that at least they attempt to put this world into the real world. Is it true? <laughs> Maybe we yeah, uh, get the kids some true? ice cream. Uh, ice true? cream? You like ice cream? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ice, ice cream. cream. At parts, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And they're as, as silly and sort of ridiculous as as this movie is. I kind of like that because it feels natural for the characters and the way the kids talk about it. You know what I mean? They're very much the way kids talk about stuff. Is sort of like. Oh, is that real? I don't know. What? That's crazy. You know. And we're very much talking about yeah, the LAPD in this movie. It's yeah. never directly said, yeah. but they're in L.A. No, no, no. It's all right. I'm not going to put you in jail. So this is the LAPD. Sure. The LAPD <laughs> has a history yeah, some up until today. Vibes, yeah. So our imitates Okay, life. so this, this, is, this scene is a problem for me, Ruben, because this prostitute's house was just exploded into a zillion pieces because she had information on the bad guys, right? Then these cops, right in the middle of the street, ask this young kid who I think they they established is like six or seven. How old are you, Alfred? Six. To tell them about the, the man that they saw working on the house. But there's no fear for that kid. You know what I mean? But we just saw this prostitute, his neighbor's house get blown up because of the same information for the most part. All I needed is like, okay, we're going to put this kid in custody for a few days. You know, until something works out. Like, jeez. They're <laughs> just like, whatever, man. They might, the bad guys might be sitting in a car right there, just watching and waiting for us to leave to murder these kids. We don't care. We don't give a shit. Well, I like the tie that is oh. made. Like, trying to describe him. Was he black? Mm-mm. And we find out he's a white guy. Was he white? Mm-hmm. Oh, he was white. With blonde hair. Of course, mm-hmm. that can only be Mr. Joshua. Blonde. Mm-hmm. Blonde. His hair was blonde. 
can only be Mr. Joshua. We've only met one other white guy with blonde hair in the movie. But and then this is <laughs> this is where it gets interesting because the kid sees the a tattoo on Mel Gibson's arm and says, "Oh, he had that exact same tattoo." Painted a uh, uh, tattoo. It was bad. What's the funniest part about that? The size of that tattoo on Mel Gibson's arm. And I'm expecting, like, yeah, something substantial you could see from 10 yards away. I'm surprised I haven't noticed it. Little, oh, yeah. It's, it's a tiny little snake and a, and, a, and a dagger, right? And it's got to be th- three inches long. People, it looked that? like a tattoo that you would get out of, like, a coin machine for, like, 50 cents. Like a, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, importantly, it, it ties the bad guys to mercenaries coming out of Vietnam that Mel Gibson kind of knows about or something like that. Yeah. Because of the tattoo. So if they have that tattoo, there's some elite um, soldier person guy. Okay, so the kid brings up the tattoo. Exactly like that? I saw it good. This is it, I remember. Which then leads Murtaugh to basically solve the case, right? For whatever reason. (laughs) And this is all convoluted too. Uh, he's like, the tattoo is a military guy and they're mercenaries. Roger, that's a special forces tattoo. And he's like, mercenaries? I know, I knew some mercenaries. A special forces tattoo. Mercury switches. What the hell have we gotten into here? So it turns out that his war buddy, the banker, we'll call, is sort of one of these bad guys, basically. Shadow. And what Mer- Yeah, the <laughs> shadow. And basically, he tells Murtaugh, like, um, listen, after Vietnam, a bunch of powerful dudes got together. I was with a special unit called Shadow Company. Mercs, trained killers. Started selling heroin around the world. When Charlie was bringing in heroin to finance the VC government, Shadow Company went in. We burned the whole thing down. And they need my bank to help launder the money, right? And this is, a, this is an important detail because we're at his daughter's funeral, I, I guess, and they go to his house, and this is where Murtaugh confronts him, right? And he tells Murtaugh, literally, like, Murtaugh's like, well, why couldn't they kill you? Why They killed your daughter because you were going to go and, and... When you called me the other day, you were going to blow the whistle, right? You were going to spill your guts so they kill your daughter. And run to the cops and tell they them information. The guy, tells, <laughs> the guy tells Murtaugh, they can't kill me because they need my bank. If you were getting cold feet, why did they kill Amanda? Why not just kill you? They need my banks for their money. So the next best thing they could do to punish me would, would be to kill my daughter. They can't kill me. They need me. My company, the bank, it's a perfect front. It makes everything look great on the tax reports. That fucker should have killed himself. <laughs> the one time where <laughs> yeah. someone should commit suicide in this movie and they totally <laughs> flubs it. A constant suicide. And the one logical one is like, no, no. And, and it's weird because before the guy was very upset about his daughter's death. And now he just isn't. He's not particularly so wait, upset. So his daughter yeah. got mixed up in basically his business? Is that how she started yeah. making videotapes? No, no, are no. they the ones supplying he, that heroin? So 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 the, the mystery here is that the banker was ready to stop being a bad guy heroin dealer. He was gonna rat out all the other bad guys. And so he called his old war friend Murtaugh, who's now a detective in LA. Right. Mm-hmm. But Murtaugh didn't get back to him quick enough um, as detective. And will. so the other bad guys found out that he was trying to contact the cops to, you know, turn him in or whatever. And because of the banks, they couldn't kill that guy. So instead, they hired a hooker to poison the drugs of, of his daughter 
which seems like they had to know a lot. Like they had to know she does drugs. They had to know where she was staying. They had to know that the hooker, I, mean, I don't know. It's, it's very well, complicated yeah. uh, kind of thing. But then Ruben, then keep in mind, this banker character has just told us, he literally just told the audience this. They can't kill me because my banks. They can't kill me. They need me. The bank. That's why they killed my daughter. That's why you, the audience member of this movie, saw the first scene of the woman committing suicide. Okay, but then what happens three seconds later? He drinks a hell of a lot of eggnog. He's loving that eggnog. <laughs> Which you're like, why is he reaching for the eggnog? Why do we need to see this? I don't know. Oh, it's because the eggnog's going to come out of the bullet holes in his fucking chest. <laughs> Two seconds. That was worth it. Oh, I thought it was because it was Christmas. <laughs> and it, well, no, I get that. But it, there's a scene where it like specifically like pans over and there's a couple of cartons of eggnog and it's written all over it. Eggnog, eggnog, eggnog. And the director's like, this is a fucking Christmas movie. And they're like, it's not. It's just, well, it's not. Well, I don't, I don't know if I've ever been to a funeral around the holidays, but I don't think they try to festive mm-hmm. them up with some, you know... <laughs> eggnog in december i didn't even think of that well we got eggnog for christmas why why not the funeral it seems like an easy transition uh you got some mistletoe then right some carolers you know to kind of some endings are just new beginnings but but this is this is the part in the plot where i'm just like it's important that you pay attention to what your own plot is and what people say is the truth in this world of the movie because the banker just told us it's a major plot point that he he explained to us they can't kill me the bank because they need my bank the bank and then they kill him right away right after he said that a helicopter comes out in the window which is a cool shot you're like oh helicopter it's another 80s trope right it's always scary and cool it's a helicopter I will say um, that it was fair to me because they need him up until the point. Oh, I guess he was already going to tell, write him out. Well, we had to get more abusive. Right. And he already did. Yeah. Right. It, and it, it, it's, it's so confusing. And they're like, but they can't kill me. But then they kill him, which I'm like, but then why did they need to kill the daughter in this weird ass way where they hired a third party to taint her drugs and and it's at that point where i'm just like okay the plot isn't matter the the filmmakers are on cocaine why should i try and care are you really crazy are you as good as you say you are right why should i try and make sense of this madness yeah do you want a movie or not do you want a fucking movie or not shut up getting too old for this shit um okay so so here's we we just have to fast forward to the to the third act final stuff here um the hooker's house explodes. The kid brings up the tattoo. That leads them to the banker's house. The banker gets shot at the house by a guy in a helicopter that flies away. Which, Ruben, if you're a detective for the L.A. Police Department, mm-hmm. you'd think you would have a tiny bit of leeway over, you know, the airwaves, right? You'd think you'd have other cops that you could beckon to help out some of these situations. <laughs> but, like, nope. No, we don't. Uh, well, it seems like they're almost at some point trying to like keep it off the books. Yeah, yeah, there is that kind of vibe of uh, they're just they're they're doing their own thing. Right? Yeah, there's a lot of dirty cop going on in this movie. Yeah, but not our not our main guys. Uh, our main guys, someone else. 
I think so. I think our main guys too. <laughs> you son of a bitch! Fuck you! Fuck you! You mean you mean when Riggs is just shooting automatic machine gun fire into a freeway? <laughs> that <laughs> trying to hit one guy. You mean you mean you mean that's a little reckless? Is that what you're that, trying to say? the whole kid thing. Um, <laughs> when they circle around and just have <laughs> trial by combat. Um. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's we'll, we'll get there. We're we're almost there. Um. So but it was entertaining um, as hell. What? It was entertaining as hell. Good job, Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was. Uh. So then Murtock and Riggs are like patrolling somewhere in the night in the street. I don't really understand why a, a car rolls up and shoots Riggs with a shotgun in the chest and then drives away and Murtock goes over to him and he's wearing a bulletproof vest and they're like, oh no, you're alive. And he's like, oh, it hurts. <laughs> and then he tells, Riggs tells Murtock, um, oh, well, this is good because they're going to think I'm dead. Which you're like, okay, I, I guess. Robbery homicide McCaskey speaking. I don't think that you need to <laughs> Sure. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Jo- Joshua <laughs> calls call the, the cop, cop and he's like, hey, I'm from uh, 15 News. Yes, this is KCOP News. We understand that there was an officer involved shooting earlier this evening. Could you give us some more information? Want to hear about I don't that? Think that's just how it works. No, that's definitely not. <laughs> is that cop dead or what? I'm from a news channel. Oh, he's dead. He's okay, cool. Sergeant Martin Riggs was shot and killed. Who is this? <laughs> yeah, that's some clever uh, bad guys. Uh, they think Riggs is shot, and this is a whole nother movie that's kind of happening on fast forward because then the bad guys talk to Murdoch and they're like, "We need to know what you know from the banker. Meet us in Victorville." <laughs> oh, they say Victorville. I didn't know where that was supposed to be, but okay. <laughs> They say Victorville. We're going to meet in Victorville in the middle of nowhere. Dry Lake, Victorville. Sunrise tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, Victorville, baby, let's go. <laughs> oh, man, it's so funny. So they meet out in the desert. Murtock is by himself. Riggs has a sniper, and they uh, post him up scene far is away so in the hills. Though. He's cruising in in this station wagon, because apparently his wife drives a station wagon, I'm guessing. And I think that's his wife's car. It has to yeah, be. yeah. He's going full speed, and you see this, like, vision of the cars. So, um, this whole scene, again, is, is it starts out cool, because you're, like, in the middle of the desert. He's meeting up with the bad guys. Riggs is going to sniper them down. They Oh, they kidnapped his daughter um, in a previous scene, but they didn't show us that, which is difficult. They just, he, Murtaugh goes home after Riggs is shot. And his wife is like, they took our daughter. And they're like, what? How? Who? Don't you guys have other police guarding his house? And then they get a call about like a body on the beach or something. We're told we got a body for you. Male, Caucasian, age 17. So I think they killed her boyfriend. Oh, right. They kill. You're right. This is all just kind of poorly done subtext. They, they, they kill his boyfriend. And when Murdoch hears the description, he's like, that's my daughter's boyfriend guy. Well, he offers that up leads some... him to. But is it uh, some blonde kid with right. dimples? He's like, oh, is he? Yeah, sure. He's probably blonde with uh, big dimples. Did he have dimples? That's exactly yeah. what it was, Sarge. It has to be him. <laughs> and that makes Murtaugh realize his daughter's in danger. He runs home. The daughter's already been taken. Which is like, this is just show, don't tell, right? Mm-hmm. Show me a scene of Gary Busey grabbing the daughter and doing something. At least that would, I don't know, make me feel more scared for the character. Anyways, we meet out in the middle of the desert, and you're right. There's a cool kind of mirage image of the helicopter and the and the car coming together. Mm-hmm. And my assumption is they rented a helicopter for this movie, and the director was like, "Well, we have a helicopter. 
We got a guy who can fly it. He's here for 12 more hours. Just put him in there. Let him fly around. Maybe he can even, I don't know, bump a car with his helicopter later. As if that's a thing that would work. That would totally work. Um, and it's not. It's not. Oh, yeah. It wouldn't. It wouldn't work. Anyway, so uh, what happens here? Murtaugh has a grenade in his hand. And he's like, give me my daughter. Let her go now or we all die. And the bad guy's like, he's not going to throw a grenade. His daughter's right here. Nothing. He wouldn't risk killing his own daughter. And she's going to die. She's right. going to die on my terms. If she's going to die, she's going to die with me. My way, not yours. <laughs> yeah. And again, you're like, the suicide intensity in this movie is just like this this card they keep pulling out. I'll kill you and my daughter and everyone. Like, and I'm pretty sure grenades don't work like that. It wouldn't kill everyone. Like <laughs> It would just kill him. I think it's it's a good 20 yard radius. It's not that big. <laughs> As if it's like a nuke or something crazy. Yeah. So Riggs starts sniping people. Damn it, it's Riggs. <laughs> Uh, all hell breaks loose. Murtaugh's daughter gets in one of the cars and starts driving away, and this is where there's a helicopter and a car battle. Not with guns, just a helicopter. It's a limousine. It's a limo, right? Yeah. It's a limousine. And Mr. Rubin, I am no expert on helicopters, but I've been in a helicopter. I used to work at an airport, if you, if you know that. And I've been in helicopters. I've, I've helped fuel and land many helicopters they are not stable vehicles of flight that are going to bump cars yeah they're pretty delicate <laughs> they're pretty delicate in the way that they fly and honestly if you were flying a helicopter and a car bumped you if you're flying that low it's more likely that the helicopter would crash than the car but we get this weird scene of the helicopter like smashing its like feet on top of the limo roof kind of gently <laughs> You know, and then it kind of goes to the side and kind of bumps it, and then the car just stops. It runs into a, like a hill, and then it stops, and the daughter gets out. It, yeah, it's very poorly done. Okay, so this all falls apart, and it's it's curious they don't just shoot Riggs because they they capture him with a gun, but he's murdered like ten of their henchmen, right? And they're like, we captured you. We got to find out what you know. But you like you have two cops who are partners. You don't need them both, right? Kill one of them. Take the other one. But uh, so then the next scene is then our protagonist being captured and tortured in a, a warehouse of sorts. Now, if you would kindly tell me everything you know, I promise you I'll kill you. And weirdly, this is the only, uh, I want to say Asian character in the movie who's the torture guy. Who, if you've seen this actor, Ruben, he often plays uh, in these kinds of movies. He plays a kung fu guy or like a non-English, you know, sort of Asian caricature guy yeah did you recognize this dude the torture man yeah he was pretty in indescript um but i think i have seen him torture other actors yeah so there's a torture guy who has an electric torture device which it's called electric shock treatment and they start torture they, they hang up mel gibson hanging from his wrists on like a hook and and there's water sort of dripping down which i guess enhances the electrocution i don't really know why it's there yeah, I didn't know but if, if it was essential or not. When they start, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's really needed. But when they start electrocuting Mel Gibson, he starts writhing around, and wiggling and shit, right? And so they're kind of pushing him back and forth, like <laughs> the guy has a torture thing and he zaps him, and he swings the other way towards the main boss guy. Yeah. But it seems like the main boss guy is getting is. second hand electrocuted, <laughs> yeah. right? Because he kind of pushes him, he goes. Ah! <laughs> 
That's what's happening. He gets a little of that shock too, dude. Like, <laughs> man, you think you'd work out your torture better? Like the boss is there, getting somewhat electrocuted. <laughs> it's just like who, who made that scene? Who's directing that scene? Like, well, you push him, but the electric, you'll get a little electrocuted too. I like it. What? Okay, uh, that's that's a weird choice. Then we cut to Danny Glover, and he he has a, a less intense torture. Because he's old, I guess. He just gets punched. Fuck you! Yeah. Whereas um, Mel Gibson gets horrifyingly electrocuted. They're just punching Danny Glover. And he's like, I ain't gonna tell you shit, I'm too old. Or something like that. And then they bring in, <laughs> and they bring his daughter, which they had in a back room. And he must have forgot about it. He's like, oh, my daughter, oh no! <laughs> and then um, Mel Gibson, uh, of course, very... As you, you hit on the nail on the head there. Very Bond villain-esque. He's like, okay, you torture him to death. I'm going to leave and uh, assume that he's he's dead. As soon as he leaves, he kills the torture guy with his legs alone. <laughs> his thighs. And uh, he gets off the hook. He gets some guns. He goes and rescues Murtaugh's character and the daughter. Kill that son of a bitch! And... Then we have two planes of action that start that, that branch out of this, right? So we have Mel Gibson chasing Gary Busey with both of them with automatic rifles, running around through freeways, shooting into masses of people without any real repercussion. And then you have Murtaugh chase the main old bad guy. And I guess that's why you have that other bad guy there, right? Because you need someone for Murtaugh to kind of fight, mm. but it can't be like a young fighter. <laughs> He's like too old for Gary that. Gary Busey? <laughs> He's too old for that. So he needs another kind of older guy that's kind of a pushover, which this guy works in. There's, there's a scene where the car's coming at Murtaugh, and he shoots the, shoots the driver in the head and hops up on the wall, and the car crashes and flips over. No way you live. No way. And I kind of like this because he, he doesn't have to go and kill the main bad guy in cold blood. He's in the overturned car, and there's a bunch of grenades. He's trying to pull the grenades out of the fire, and then boom, and all. Right, which it's, it's I appreciated that he wasn't like... Just an insane mass murderer now. That was just an incidental guy. Yeah, that was just incidental guy, which is, you know, for 80s murdering people as a cop, that's that's right what we need, Mr. Murtaugh. (laughs) Okay, so they kill the main bad guy. (laughs) Right, the drug trade is pretty much over yeah, that because was the, the main end of guy the war who was facilitating drugs. it is dead as well as the banker who was laundering all these monies my company the bank it's- all this money he's also dead and and so gary Busey, who is a henchman hey, joshua the slippery son of a bitch got away a lead henchman we'll say decides he's gonna go and take revenge on murtaugh's family because he knows where his house is because he's been there before to kidnap his daughter my home man son of a bitch knows where i live I don't know if you know any bad guys, Ruben, but, but in general, I don't think that they're just out for blatant revenge, knowing that there's no chance they're going to escape at all. Well, who's going to burn Mr. Joshua's arm now? <laughs> gonna, the kink I'm is sure over. sure he could get a guy in jail to light him with a lighter if you want to do. But you see what I mean? Like, here's, here's Gary Busey. He has escaped. He's free. His boss is dead. The banker's dead. Pretty much all the bad guys are but dead. But does he know that the boss what, is what dead? Re- he doesn't know for sure, but he knows. I mean, we assume that he knows the boss isn't alive or something, right? I thought he didn't know that. We all, he they was all dead. just they, the co- the cops are alive and they all ran out of the warehouse just trying to escape, mm. right? That's the basic premise. Gary Busey, he he's just a, a henchman. He's a, a mercenary. We're told, right? Joe, 
is me. What do, what do mercenaries work for? They work for money. But he's like, I need to take revenge on, on this Murtaugh guy, knowing that there's no way he's going to survive taking that revenge if he goes to Murtaugh's house and kills his family. He's not going to escape, right? Maybe he's suicidal. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> well, he's a, he's a military guy, so he must be suicidal. Yeah, that's a good point. So this is all convoluted. Murtaugh's like, he's, they're going to go, go to my house, and he seems pretty chill about it. And then we're told, oh, there's other cops there at your house, which you're like, uh, okay, Mr. Murtaugh, you know the killer is going to your house. You assume he's going to your house. You also know that there's uniformed cops at your house. You also yourself are a police detective. Don't you think he would hit up those cops and be like, yo, there's, if there's a guy with thin skin and blonde hair and big old buck teeth, uh, that's the bad guy. He's coming, but that doesn't happen. It would. Okay, asshole. I think my bigger question is, where's his chainmail sweater? <laughs> Where is your bad guy chainmail sweater vest? If you ever see anything like that, Ruben, in your travels, you got to get us a couple. Of okay. I'll keep an eye out. We'll, uh, we'll go to Halloween as uh, as the bad guy from Commando, whatever his name is. <laughs> be like, what? Is that chainmail? Oh, it's like... I think it's polyester or something. What the hell? Why would you? Uh, so this Ruben is where quality filmmaking really starts to show up because we were peppered with the detail very early on that Riggs knows Kung yeah. Fu. Did you catch well, this? Uh, I don't even know the character's name. Murdoch asks him if, oh, so you're into all that like uh, fighting and Tai Chi. He calls it Tai Chi. Yeah. Well, I'll also say that you're heavy into martial arts, Tai Chi and all that uh stuff which is, but it is kung fu. anyone who knows tai chi it's not there's nothing to do with fighting in tai chi no um <laughs> but in the 80s i'm sure they thought it was some elite martial art <laughs> but yeah we get the payoff but yeah that's we're we're told that Riggs knows kung fu um but we don't ever see him do anything like that i guess until this last fight because okay so Busey shows up at the house he go he shoots the door open he kicks the door open he walks inside expecting the family and what is there empty house there's nothing right but there's a note that says do you remember what the note mm. says uh, no it's basically like you know there's no one here uh, the cops are coming for you bad guy you're dumb something like that and then a police car smashes through the <laughs> front right. living room fuck your house um Poor Murtaugh's house. It was already being remodeled in the beginning. The kitchen's kind of tore down and being rebuilt. Now it's just, it's just jacked. And it's like, why? What did this actually get you? <laughs> I, I don't know. A cool action scene, I guess. So Gary Busey shoots at the cop car. It, it, and I mean, he's three feet away from this cop car. He can see there's no one inside, but so it doesn't matter. Because uh, he just unloads on this cop car and then rigs pulls out a gun and then points it at him and he's like, drop the gun. And then you're like, well, we did it. We got the bad guy. But then there's a weird, like, no, I'm going to fight him. Mm -hmm. And then, then it turns into fight club because well, all the cops form a circle on the yard outside. A couple of things to mention. This... And one, uh, one hour, 37, 53, there's an end apartheid sticker on the fridge. So wait yeah, represent... it was there at the beginning of the, the, so it the scene too. Yeah. No, just in this Nelson moment. Mandela. I I saw it. I saw um, it. Yeah, end of part. Yeah, and when was the street fight? I think they ended to? it, right? Uh, eventually, they got around to it. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, so this turns into a, a street fight. Oh, okay, 
Wait a minute. Okay. Okay. I'm talking about time. My responsibility here. Well, I call this the original MMA. We wouldn't have MMA as we know today if we didn't get this this fight here. Wow. Wow. Little little Dana White is like, <laughs> wow. You know, we can make this a thing. This I thing. need to get myself some cops. <laughs> well, form a circle, you know, with like seven or eight sides or something. Seven or eight. Right. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, I mean, this is the first time you've seen this movie. What's your response to this kung fu fight? I don't, I'm reluctant to call it kung fu. What it really is, is it's very quick cuts in the editing that they, they just say is kung fu. I yeah, guess. it's a mix of martial arts. But I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like martial know. arts mix eight, some type of DVD you would get at the drugstore for two ninety nine. This is just a weird scene because I think as as sort of fit and kind of uh, hyperactive as Mel Gibson is in this movie. You know, like Gary Busey is just not a graceful, uh, quick fighter. Yeah. Or person. Right, he's kind of he's just kind of uh, big, big and slow is my connotation with Mr. Joshua. Yeah, and the whole fact that they circle up for this fight is proof on like how actual policing works. Watch commander is on route until then. Sergeant Murtaugh is in charge on site. In America, where there are people definitely in that circle who are like, this isn't right. This isn't what we're supposed to be doing right now. Sergeant Riggs arrest. I'll take full responsibility. Son of a bitch just killed two of our men. And but they all yeah. group up in a circle anyways. So Yeah. There there's a shot. If you look in the background, there's one guy taking bets. Oh shit. You know? Which you're like, geez. Yeah, there you go. Seems a little harsh there, buddy. Um, but yeah, then this is the this is where the the movie reaches absurd heights because we've got the bad guy dead to rights, but it's like the movie doesn't want to end quite yet. You know, it's like, that's just, that's too easy. Why don't we have Mel Gibson and Gary Busey kung fu fist fight in the, is it raining? Or is there like a, a fire hydrant going? It's wet. Yeah, it's definitely, it's very wet. Yeah, well, it's not snowing, but it is Christmas time. So a heavy, a heavy, yeah. thick rain. And and Mel Gibson is, is shirtless because he, keep in mind, he was just mortally tortured, I don't know, an hour ago, but uh, he's ready to fight this guy in the, <laughs> oh, Forget this, Ruben. The 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 same helicopter that they've rented for this movie. They're like, how can we really use this helicopter in a cinematic way? Well, what if they just the guy spotlights the fist fight from the oh, yeah. helicopter? <laughs> in which case, you would go, uh, well, okay, well, why? But but why though? It's cool, man. <laughs> what do you mean why? It's fucking cool. There's a spotlight on these two dudes fighting in the rain. It's not the rain. <laughs> it's like a fire hydrant. It's confusing because it's not raining. Well, they probably ran over the fire hydrant before they crashed into the house. Right. Good measure. Right. So you have the water and then you have the spotlight from the helicopter, which is kind of erratically moving. And then you have the circle of like uh, fight club cops. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> we're just like yeah get him get him and then you have Murtaugh who's like yeah oh no because there's times where he you know Riggs is losing the fight and, and this is this is just so confusing for so well, many well they throw something reasons. to him but, what is he what ends up being the oh he, he he Gary Busey gets a pipe right, a, and Murtaugh throws him like a nightstick yeah so they even cheat um They even cheat, yeah. Which, which, honestly, they have to because the beginning of the fight where they're trying to do kung fu and they like, you know, it's like 
0.2 second edits. Like, oh, 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 oh. It's Anytime you see editing like that, you know it's because the real thing looks so dumb and horrific that they have to make quick edits to make it feel like it's fast and intense, right? Man, the civil rights so case would have because... been like, cut and dry at the end of this. So I'm guessing Gary Busey's family got paid out big, probably like $5 million in 1987. Stop me if I'm wrong. The, the cops brutally <laughs> what choice does he have at the end but to like style to fight to the death <laughs> so funny oh man that's hilarious so yeah so it's it's weird because the cops let them let them fight and of course uh riggs wins and and here's here's my problem ruben and here's where the sequels figure out what to do is that you spend all your most of your your action budget on some sort of big set piece at the end right like going back to commando (laughs) you know what i mean he's shooting everyone shit's exploding he's jumping through flowers he's chopping dude's arms off (laughs) it's satisfying but we get to lethal weapon and what is our final you know third act big action moment i guess the car explosion was kind of cool with the grenades right but it's still not satisfying that a bad guy has been beaten so it's not enough to just arrest uh, Mr. Joshua. We need this this uh, weird fist fight in order to have a third act fight, which in the in the sequels, at least in the later sequels of Lethal Weapon, it's a much better satisfying like they blew up a fucking submarine or something, you know, <laughs> instead of like these two guys fighting in the in the water kind of thing. Um, and then Gary Busey loses the fight. And yeah, that's pretty well, much it. Does... The next scene we oh. see. We see Riggs, he's all scarred up on well, his wait, face. How does that fight. end? Um, because they end up killing him, so he gets a weapon from... Oh, they're going to arrest him. He pulls... He, yeah, he's able yeah. to pull the gun off of the arresting cop. Okay. Yeah, which you didn't need the other 50 cops who've just been standing and watching this happen to prevent that. It was Riggs and Murtaugh who both had their guns out. Bam! They kill him at the same time. Ah, we got him. <laughs> Yeah, that was like a friend forever so yeah. uh, shot to kill. Yeah, def- definitely a BFF kind of a, of a kill. And they're kind of like hugging each other when they mm-hmm. do it. You know, they're in this weird embrace with their guns out, which I'm like, that's cool. Then it's Christmas Day and old Gibby is is rolling up to Murtaugh's house to give him the, the suicidal bullet that he's been carrying the whole movie. Um, give this to your dad, okay? Uh as a sign of the mental growth that our character has gone through. It's a bullet. Yeah, it's a bullet. Well, he'll understand. I guess. <laughs> it's just like, well, this is, again, where the suicide stuff is just, you need to rewrite that. Because that's <laughs> like, our, our character is suicidal because his wife got killed at the beginning of the movie. And then he fights some dudes and they kill a bunch of people and then he's not suicidal. Is that character development or is that just, you know? Okay, cool. I guess he just needed to kill like five or ten dudes. He's good. Well, I think he needed to do that before he tested the waters with uh, Danny Glover and his daughter. <laughs> yeah, it's another weird dynamic so, that I just, I, I don't know that we need. By Lethal Weapon we 4, is he like with the daughter? Yeah. Really? Yeah, or something pretty much it, it might even be in two that that plays out but it's it keeps going with that oh, wow. line of uh but i think they recast the daughter i might be wrong hmm. i think they recast her in the sequels each time it gets it gets yeah 
No, they just they play more and more into that awkwardness, which I just I don't know. It doesn't doesn't do anything for me. Uh, but yeah, it's Christmas, and then he's. It's weird because he goes to Murtaugh's house. The daughter answers, and he's like, "Give your dad this bullet." <laughs> She's like, "Okay." And he's like, you'll know it was my suicide bullet I've been waiting to kill myself with. And she's like, okay. And then Murtaugh runs out after him. He's like, hey, man, your family, where are you going? Come on, come in to, to Christmas and eat my bad wife's cooking. And then you're like, yay. Well, his, his final move is as they walk into the house, he reaches up and he fixes one of the Christmas light bulbs. Oh, I noticed that too. I noticed that too. I That's like that. That's making it a Christmas that, uh, <laughs> Well, I just thought that the the subtle kind of symbolism of that i thought was was uh endearing even though it probably doesn't mean anything that they intended <laughs> you know what i mean it's probably the character being like oh whatever well, cool. up. and that's it that's lethal weapon lethal weapon yeah and it the more i i try to think about the title the more i'm just like they just picked that shit out of a hat Right? I don't know, murderous uh, guns. And they're like, nah, that doesn't work. Uh, corporeally ending paraphernalia. No, no, we can't do that. Uh, I don't know. What about it's like a weep? It's a weapon and it like kills. It's like a lethal weapon. That's it. Lethal weapon. Uh, Which I'm just like, I, yeah, I feel like it, that's... It, it becomes a caricature of itself in the name because by the time you get to lethal weapon, you know what I mean? It's like sharp sword. Or something. It's like, what is it? What? It doesn't mean anything. Lethal weapon. Well, I mean, some weapons okay. aren't considered lethal, even though Explosive any weapon can grenades. become lethal. I don't agree with you. I think sure. it's brilliant. Lethal weapon. So, uh, what are we going to watch next week? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Let's find out. So, we are on. Wrapping up 1987's Lethal Weapon. We are moving on to the 1988 selections, <clears throat> of which, are you ready? We're going to have a, a larger list today, Mr. Rubin, than normal. Uh, we're going to stop, we're going to start with Akira. What the hell is this Akira thing, huh? I asked Ryu one time. He told me that Akira is ultimate energy. <gasps> it's a, so this is Japanese 80s anime. And basically, if you ever want to be a nerd, all you really have to do is watch this movie. And then you're in. That's it. Okay. That's all you need. Uh, the second one is They Live. They Live. They Live. I'm guessing you've heard of this movie. I've never even heard of this one. You've never heard of this? Oh, Sounds man. Sounds like it's horror. Oh, man. I would suggest, well, the the premise of They Live is, is do you want me to tell you the premise? Uh, yeah, you'll have to. So basically, a guy finds a... Uh, I don't remember exactly what. It's a long time since I've seen this. A guy finds a box of sunglasses in an abandoned church, right? So he finds these sunglasses, right? And they're dope, like, 80s, like, blue blocker, you know, Tom Cruise kind of sunglasses. So he puts them on, and he starts seeing weird-ass shit through these glasses. For example, he looks at a billboard of, you know, like, these people on a tropical vacation. He puts on the glasses, and what the billboard says is, have sex, Right. Okay. So he takes the glasses off, and here's this couple on a tropical vacation. He puts it back on. It just says "have sex." It just says words, right? And realistically, what it is is there's this whole race of like alien capitalists, kind uh-huh. of, that have taken over. Okay. And the glasses that this guy finds magically—not well, magically—but they let him see the 
the reality that these aliens are sort of manufacturing in American uh, daily pop culture kind of stuff. All right. So we have Akira and they <laughs> live. What's next? Die Hard. I've seen it. All right. It's got to be in there. I feel like we can't watch Die right. Hard after Lethal Weapon. And I've seen enough of it. Yeah. No, I haven't seen it all the way through, but. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. You don't need to. It's the better Christmas action movie by far. Um, okay. Beetlejuice. Okay. I haven't seen that. Oh, okay. All right. That that, that can be fun. Uh, do you know the premise? Uh, I know the character. Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice. I can do a fantastic Beetlejuice impression. Actually, I wouldn't get it. Cause I, I... But uh, I know. We'd have to see the movie and then and then you'll be blown away. Trust me. <laughs> okay. All you have to know about Beetlejuice is it's um, who's the Nightmare Before Christmas guy? Who I'm thinking of, I can't think of the name. It's yeah, it's it's that's my favorite Tim Burton movie easily. So that's really all you need to know. It's about you know demons and ghouls and wacky okay. shit. Uh, the Great Outdoors. You don't know what the Great Outdoors is? Oh my God, Roman, you're killing me with this one. Killing me with this. Are the one. animals uh, talking? Starring John Candy. Oh, I've what? seen the the picture of this. Yeah, John Candy and Dan Aykroyd as two dads who take their families to a uh, mountain vacation. Ooh. You know, wrong. this one might be it, man. It's a, it's a, so uh, Rain Man. Seen it. Okay, that's good. My neighbor Totoro. <laughs> no, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Studio Ghibli. It's a another anime. Uh, kind of deal, but yeah, you know, don't worry, don't worry about it. Yeah, I think that's going to be our selection. I want to put Mississippi Burning in there, but that's I feel like that's too intense. Have yes. you ever seen that? Yeah, it's a great movie, but I don't know if it's fun, Ruben and Pete. Yeah, um, okay. yeah, Great Outdoors is the winner. Why the hell would you want to come up to a plant-infested no man's land like this and live like a barbarian for a week? Just go with it. All right. I am I am excited to watch The Great Outdoors. So am I. I think this is the first one where it's a movie I would have given a chance to because I saw Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's been a few years ago. Okay, sure. But I feel like I saw that later in life, and I was like, oh, okay, that's a good movie. That's funny. So I think I'll enjoy this one. It may be sacrilege, but I would say that this movie crushes Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, very well could. So... Yeah, it's it's uh it's eventually up there, we'll see Uncle it's, Buck because I haven't seen that either. Okay, so next week we're gonna be back with the Great Outdoors. Oh man! So next week we're gonna be back with the Great Outdoors. Oh man!